Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Hey, I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to jump right in there. There's a couple of words in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, and we're going to talk about those first, and then we're going to move on into the message. And so, so we're, we're looking at, and, and in uh, Colossians chapter 3 and in verse number 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, and he goes on. But put on. So uh, this girl has put on a beret, and she's put on a sweater. So does that make her French? Because she looks maybe like a little French girl. For all I know, she was uh, born in Alabama, not in France. But, but put on. Sometimes we get the idea that Christianity is about putting on specific behavior. In fact, most of the time, preacher's kids and deacon's kids behave well at church. And there's consequences if they don't. In fact, Kathy and I realized at one point we were raising our kids to be Pharisees because if they behave badly in public, they got in more trouble. And so they put on a fakeness in public. And then uh, when they got real at home, they didn't get along quite as well. Most of the time they did, but not always. But when he says put on, this is not faking something. It's not, I want you to put on this hat or put on this robe or put on this shirt or this tie or this pair of shoes. No, it's not something that we're faking on the outside. It's something that he wants to see on the inside. And there's two big parts to this putting on that you cannot see as clearly in the English. One is that it is imperative. This is an imperative voice. It means this is something we must do. You need to do this. This is not, hey, you know, I was thinking you'd look good in this beret. No, you're putting this on on the inside of you, and you have an obligation to do that. God inspired the Apostle Paul to write this instruction to the church and as Jessica mentioned and was taught in Sunday school, that we are carrying on that ministry of the apostles. We're learning from them. We're following their guide. And so this instruction was given to the church, and it's the same whether your church is on the Apache Nation in Albania or in Arizona, in this part of Arizona, because Scott's still in Arizona. It just seems like it's another state because it's so far away. If you go back east from the distance we drive from our house to, to Scott and Kathy's house, uh, if you go back east, you'd go through three or four states to get that distance. But here it's all one grand and glorious greatest state in the nation, right? Um, <laughs> Kathy, think, Kathy Bird thinks the greatest state is Texas, so pray for her, would you? All right. There's a second part to this put on, and that is it's plural. 
It's second person plural. This is something we must do together. This is not something that Paul says, hey, on your own, Ben, when you're up there at your school up in, in uh, Prescott area, you got to put this on, Ben. No, it's, it's us together. We all have to do this. Every believer, every church family is supposed to be working on this. So why do we come to church? Because this is what God's people do. Why do we support missions? Because this is what God's people do. Why do we strive to adjust our lives to line up with the truths and principles in God's word? Because this is what God's people do. And if we're going to follow God, we can't not do this. All right, now, when we look at the beginning of this verse, it says a phrase, uh, therefore, as the elect of God, and people really stress out over that election. I want to give you a simple understanding of that. We are chosen ones. We are chosen ones. Now, when I was a kid, my pastor used to say, when you, you walk up and you see this, this banner, it says, whosoever will may come. And you trust the Lord, and then you walk through, and you get over on the other side, and it says, chosen in him from the foundation of the world. See, God does choose us and bring us into his family, but I do not believe there's anywhere in the Bible that is encouraged that God predetermines that certain people will end up in hell. If I had believed that was true, I would have been scared to have kids because I wanted my kids to have a chance to trust and follow Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, they have, and several of our grandkids have, and we're rejoicing in that and praying for the, the rest of them. Uh, but if they had been born and lived and had no chance of getting saved, so when you think of election, I want you to think of it this way, that God has chosen to bring you into his family and move you on toward Jesus Christ. In fact, in uh, Romans 8.29, when he talks about God preordaining, it's talking about those who believe being preordained to grow and mature in Christ-likeness. So from the moment of your salvation, God's plan is that you would grow and mature and serve him. Now for Jessica, that's to serve him in another country, about 6,500 miles that way. <laughs> Um, for, for me, that's to serve right here. For Kathy, my wife, that's to serve me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, it's to serve the Lord. I, I lost, just lost half the women here. It was a joke, okay? Don't get mad. Although she was my caregiver for a few weeks there when I was doing so badly. But, but it's, we're serving God together. And one of the cool things that God did for Kathy and I is we were already in love. We were already talking about getting married. And then we each of us felt called into ministry. We live 500 miles apart because I was in the Marine Corps in California. And God called us to serve him together. And we've been doing that ever since we got married. And we plan to keep doing that till he calls us home. Hopefully all of us together in the homegoing process. So when he says here, you who are chosen in God, then he goes on and expands it a little more. And I'm going to reread 
part of verse 12 that we've already read. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as we're looking at this, we're going to look at it from a couple of different perspectives. There's a note sheet in your bulletin if you want to use that. I encourage you to write these things down uh, just to be reminded the more you engage your senses in something, the more likely you are to remember. So if you're engaging your sense of hearing it and then you're writing it, so you're hearing it, seeing it, and you're touching it, then it's engaging more of your brain and God can use that to help you remember. So the first thing is, this is who we are. Now, do you notice something different about one guy in that picture? Yeah. He's looking right at the camera, right? No, apparently he's in color. <laughs> Somebody pointed that out to me. But this is who we are. We are not just the mass of people. We are not just human being number 7.987 billion. You are chosen by God. God has made you part of his family. So you are elect of God. You are chosen by God for his purposes. Even if you feel you have no value, sometimes people feel that way. A lot of times men who have retired feel like they have no value. In fact, it's quite often a man retires and then within a couple of years he's dead. It doesn't mean that retirement's bad for your health. It means you have to have a plan for your life. And some people get so absorbed in their identity, in their job, they don't have any other part of their life. And you can volunteer in the church. You can volunteer in the community. In fact, when I was at, at the VA hospital, I was getting wheeled from one department to another. Uh, and I was in a wheelchair and this guy's pushing me along. And he's in his mid-80s and he's just all excited and he's pushing me along. And, and he was excited because as soon as he dropped me off, he got to go have his lunch. He went three days a week to the VA hospital just to help. And he whips us around and, you know, pushes people down from one area to another area. It's a lot of turf in the, the VA hospital down there in Tucson. It's spread out over quite a few acres. And so he loves helping people and caring for people. He doesn't mind being retired at all. But if you're just focused in who you are, then it's harder, and your job, it's harder to handle when God allows setbacks or health concerns or issues and retirement. But God wants you to feel like you have great value in him because God created you. 
you are special to God. Secondly, we are holy. We are sacred. We're set apart by Him. We're holy. We call this the Holy Bible because it's God's Word. It's holy. God set this aside. And I, if you go into my study, I have hundreds of books in there. We've got hundreds more at home. In fact, I have hundreds on my computer study books, 1,100 and some. Uh, but uh, it, we have uh, tools, but all of those tools, they can benefit us. But this word is set apart. It's holy because it's God's word. God breathed this message. And so other things can be inspiring, but only God's word is actually inspired by God. So, and we are set apart. When you fail him, it does not diminish your capacity to fulfill his will. You, you can ask forgiveness. You can start again. You don't uh, come along, you're going to trust God, you're going to follow God, and then you blow it and you think, I blew it, I'm doomed. No, you ask his forgiveness and then you step forward again. And then you step forward again. Scott and Jessica will tell you when they first got involved in missions, well, Scott grew up in missions, uh, as Jessica also grew up in missions, the third generation and uh, caring for serving people. But when they felt called to serve, uh, it wasn't like God just spoke from heaven and they heard this voice saying, this is what you must do. Uh, no, but they just felt his leading. And as they followed him and served him, when, when God led us to come to this church, Kathy and I were living a thousand miles that way. And God brought us here very clearly, moved in our hearts and lives to bring us to this community and to this congregation of believers. And we rejoice that we've been able to serve here for more than 24 years. But God will use you wherever you are and we won't all serve in the same way, but we will all serve him. Dr. Ed over here, he helps people keep their feet. How many of you think that's a good idea? He works with a lot of diabetics. It is, he's a, a doctor and he works with their feet and he helps a lot of people. Uh, but his calling is different than mine. And it's different than Scott's and it's different than John and Brandon's and it's different than Mark's and it's different than yours. How many of you think, man, I wish I could work with people's feet every day. <laughs> I'm glad you do. You've helped a lot of people and they rejoice in that. Uh, they're glad. But listen, you are set apart by God to do his will. So if you're an engineer or if you're a doctor or if you're a pilot or your job, primary job, is to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is what you do to support that ministry. We are holy. We're set apart by him. And then we are beloved. We are beloved. This is who we are. When you're struggling with sin and feeling like God must hate you or at least be really tired of you, you need to know that God loves you. The Bible clearly teaches that. You are dearly loved. You are dearly loved by the Lord God Almighty. God 
loves you. This is who we are. Secondly, this is what we do. This is what we do. I like that picture. Adult just reaching out to not a slapping high five, but just a high five touch with a little kid and, and to help and encourage. And, and so we're going to have a list of things that will show up on the right of the screen. And in that list, I want you to think about how this is working in your life. These are things we just read from God's Word, and we're taking it exactly from God's Word and saying, this is what we do. Why do we do these things? Because we're God's kids, because that's who we are. God defined who we are, and now he's going to define what we do. This is what God's kids do. First of all, tender mercies. Many times in the Gospels, we read of Jesus experiencing a specific emotion when he looked on the needs of people. Sometimes it was sick people, lepers and blind. Sometimes it was hurting people. Uh, sometimes it was crowds of people. What was that emotion that is often mentioned that Jesus felt when he looked on people? Compassion. We know that intellectually, right? But when you walk out this door and you get out in the street and somebody cuts you off and if you're going out to lunch and you try and get into a restaurant and they mess up your order and people down at the other table are going to be really loud and, and are you going to look on them with compassion? That's what God wants. That's what Jesus modeled. Tender mercies, having compassion. This is a deep concern. This is a heartfelt concern. Sympathy for those who are suffering. <laughs> Years ago, I was on crutches and I was really struggling and I kept falling over. And one time I fell over and slammed into the back of the couch that Kathy was happened to be laying on the couch watching a football game, I think. And I just slammed into the couch and then slid down on the floor she had to come around and pick me up and then get my crutches up and get me back on my feet. And I asked her, I said, did it scare you when you saw me falling? She said, no, I just thought, oh, how interesting. <laughs> no, she was just messing with me. She does that sometimes. But your heart should be stirred for the needs of people around you. When you see a homeless person, you should feel compassion. You shouldn't necessarily give them money. Uh, in fact, in our community, they encourage you to give to a community fund, and our church does that, that that fund helps people rather than hand out money because sometimes people are begging because they don't want to work instead of trying to get help when they cannot work. And so that community fund helps sort that out and uh, provides for people in genuine need. Uh, but do you feel compassion for them? That's how God wants us to feel. Tender mercy. Secondly, kindness, a warm-heartedness, a gentleness, a humaneness, a goodness and kindness. We should help and not hurt. We should honor and not harass. We should smile at people, not sneer at them. The next word is humility, and these are taken right from this passage of Scripture. 
humility. Now, Jeff Jorgensen and I were uh, this week taking care of some church business, and we were sitting there while we were waiting to get up and be involved in something we needed to take care of for the church. We were sitting there talking, and we said, you know, isn't it weird that some guys, as they get older, get grumpier and fussier? And they grump and fuss and yell at other people? When the truth is, as you get older, you should get nicer. And here's why you realize how much grace you have received in your life. You realize how much grace God has given you and how many times you blew it and somebody else didn't hold it against you. And the older we get, we should be more aware of this grace that we have received and desperately needed and greatly benefited from and gratefully received. And so we should develop a kindness toward other people. Uh, a, a sweetness in our disposition as we get older. So, guys, maybe you should ask your wife, maybe not right now, ask your wife, do you think I'm getting kinder as I'm getting older? Am I getting grumpier as I'm getting older? And ladies, you could even ask your husband the same thing because it's not just old men who get grumpy. There's some grumpy older women too. The old men just tend to be louder. Okay, and the next word he presents is a meekness. This is a mildness, a gentleness, and even temperedness. Hot-headed, fussy people should not call themselves Christians. They might be believers, but they're not Christ-like. That's what Christian means, one who's actually following Christ, not just trusting him for salvation, but following him. That's why as a church, we encourage people to trust and follow Jesus Christ, not just trust him to get to heaven, but follow him in your life. And so you need to have meekness, a kindness, a mildness, a gentleness. The next word he says in that list, what's the one that comes after meekness? Long-suffering. That's a wonderful word. Long-suffering. You're going to endure some stuff. It's a patient forbearance and an endurance. You see, you have to put up with a lot of stuff in life. Some of the stuff you have to put up with is internal. Sometimes our bodies fight our bodies. When When it's really bad, it's cancer and it's terminal, but there's other parts of our body that just doesn't get along with other parts of our body, and there's things going on on the inside, and then there's things going on on the outside, and the more you watch the news, the more depressed people get. That's statistically proven. The more you watch, because the news doesn't say, hey, look at this wonderful, cool thing over here. Well, maybe they do. After a half an hour of death and destruction, then, oh, look at this nice thing over here. Now you have your happy thought. Bye. Uh, But Usually the news is reporting bad stuff and there's all kinds of stuff being reported and and all kinds of medical things going on that, man, this thing could destroy your world. But long-suffering is we put up with us. God wants you to put up with, and here's the big deal, he wants you to put up with people who annoy you. Don't point. He wants you to put up with people who annoy you. There are people out there 
who are very strongly opinionated and they disagree with you. Well, of course they're wrong, right? But how do you treat them? Do you argue back, get in their face? That's what our politics try and do. They try and isolate you to one extreme or the other and turn you against instead of pulling people toward the middle. There used to be something called common good, but the common good isn't very common anymore. And a lot of what they say is good isn't very good either. God wants you to put up with people for his sake and for the sake of the people around you that he dearly loves. He cares about them. And sometimes he can use your kindness as a door to open the opportunity to share the gospel. That's what Jessica was just sharing about. That's what they've done in Albania. They've taught English and math and they've tutored and helped kids. These are required courses in their schooling and they've helped them and that's opened the door to reach some of them for Christ. And it's opening the door to reach others for Christ. So, How does the compassion of Christ, what difference does the compassion of Christ for the lost make in your life every day? We should be long-suffering toward other people. And then he says, bearing with them. Uh, This is enduring unpleasantness. Sometimes people annoy you. And if you handle it gracefully and respond gracefully, then you are bearing with. You're putting up, you're long-suffering, and you're bearing with them. And then he says he wants you to be forgiving them. Ephesians 4.32, he wants you to forgive them. Forgive one another as God in Christ also forgave you. So how it worked is when Ben trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. How old were you, Ben? You're 12? He was 12 years old when he trusted Christ as his Savior. From that moment on, do you think Ben has lived perfectly? If you think that, you maybe should talk to Teresa. She'll straighten you out, okay? So, so there have been a few issues since then. Now, when those issues come up and Ben might do something God doesn't want him to do or fail to do something God wanted him to do, and sometimes we get stubborn and sometimes we get selfish, but sometimes we mess up without even trying to mess up. You know, we're so gifted, we can do it without trying. But what happens is God looks at your sin and says, I forgive you because Jesus Christ died for you. I forgive you because of Jesus. And that's exactly how God wants you to treat other people. Because of Jesus, I'm willing to forgive. In fact, I heard a preacher once, Kathy and I were at a thing up in Phoenix, and, and this preacher was sharing this thing, and it just kind of blew my mind. And, and I've never forgotten the phrase. And he said, if you aren't willing to forgive other people, then you're basically looking at Jesus on the cross and saying, hey, that wasn't good enough. They also owe me. No, we need to forgive as God in Christ forgave us so we forgive others. Now, let me pause right here, okay? He says if there's a a complaint or a quarrel, a, a justified accusation, then you need to forgive. But there is a difference between forgiveness and trust. And I'm going to use an illustration here because this illustration really works for our church. In the last 25 years, we've had four different people serve as 
the treasurer of our church. They've all done an outstanding job. They've all been faithful. They've uh, watched over the money carefully. They've helped us uh, keep uh, accurate records. They've made sure our reporting to uh, the payroll taxes and all of that, that the reporting is accurate. Uh, and so they've done an outstanding job. But let's just say that our church had a treasure, and I have not known one in my tenure here as the pastor, but let's say our church had a treasure and that treasure stole money. And then we found out, what should we do? Remove them from being treasure. If it's a lot of money, maybe even have criminal charges pressed against them. But here's the deal. How can we forgive them? What would forgiveness look like? Forgiveness, if they repented and, and came clean and pled forgiveness, would you want them taking care of the money anymore in the future? No. Why? For two reasons. One, they've shown a proclivity toward not handling it wisely. And two, you don't want to put them in a position of temptation. It's like if you're going to take an alcoholic out to dinner, you don't go sit in a bar to eat. That's not a fair thing to do to an alcoholic. You go to a place where they don't serve alcohol, so that temptation is removed. But this forgiving, we would forgive them if they repent. We would forgive them. If it was a small amount, we might not even require restitution. We would forgive, but we would not trust them to hold that position again. So sometimes people get the idea that when you forgive somebody, you have to completely trust them again. And so a spouse has been defrauded, the other spouse has cheated, and then, oh, but in God, you have to forgive them. Well, you maybe have to forgive the hurt they caused you. You can't forgive sin, only God can do that. You have to forgive the hurt they caused you, but it doesn't mean you have to trust them in your heart and in your home again. There's a difference. I hope I explained that well enough. If not, you can talk to Kathy and she'll give it to you straight. She's really good at forgiveness. <laughs> All right. Then the next word is loving. Showing God's love and sharing his truth. We say that's what we do. We show God's love and share his truth. But showing his love has to come first. We have to be loving. As he said here, uh, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. Above all these things, put on love. Put on love. Loving. Your spiritual maturity shows up not in the number of verses you've memorized, but in the acts of love you've shown to others. So while that's still on the screen, and if you've written them down, I hope you have, but I, I want you to put a star or in your brain, put a star by one you think you're doing really well on this one, and maybe put a circle around the one that you're not doing so well, something you need to work a little extra on. Or if you're using the note sheet with your spouse, they can put an arrow by the one you need to work on. That would be okay. All right, so then he says, now, this is how we feel. If we're doing the things God wants us to do, this is how we're going to feel. The first thing is peaceful. The, he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Peace is a byproduct. Peace comes 
after obedience. Let it rule. Let it control your heart. The peace of God. See, we go through difficult times. I had a friend, and we've lost touch over the years, but we were in Cuba together twice on a mission uh, work there in Cuba, and he and his wife were missionaries in Mexico, and, and Michael, his, their son died. And they were in the hospital as their son died. And he had been struggling for a long time. Everybody in the hospital knew him. Everybody loved him. And, and Michael said, after his son died, he was sitting in a chair and he was just overwhelmed with his personal grief. And he looked up and he watched his wife and she was going around hugging and consoling the hospital staff because they had lost a patient. And Michael said, I watched the peace of God lived out in my wife when she faced her biggest loss and she ministered to other people in the name of Jesus Christ. His peace can carry you through the most difficult circumstances. But if you're not doing the work that he's called you to do, if you're not being the person that he wants you to be, then you're not going to enjoy that peace. The second part of it is being grateful. Being grateful. He says at the end of that verse, and be thankful. Our daughter just used to work in uh, Bookman's in Tucson and in Flagstaff. And they have a deal that uh, randomly, uh, occasionally a customer wins and their whole order is free. And every time their order is free, the people fuss. Oh, if I'd known that, I would have got more. Instead of being grateful for what they received, they're fussing that they didn't get more. Have you ever known toddlers to do that? But see, as we grow in the Lord, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be grateful. Uh, we are, uh, the, we of all people, believers, should be the most grateful people on the planet. Our sins are forgiven. Our home is heaven. And maybe your apartment's a little small on earth, but you got a place God's building for you in heaven. It will more than make up for it. When you are being who God designed you to be and doing what God uh, planned for you to do, you're going to feel peace and you're going to be grateful. And then he tells us, this is how we grow. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is how we grow. Now, there's a word in there that sometimes we overlook. The word is dwell. What does it mean to dwell? How many of you dwell here at church? <laughs> Megan and I are here a lot. Some weeks I'm here more than I'm at home, but I don't live here. Dwell is to take root. It's to inhabit or live in. We want God's word to take root in our life to get so saturated on the inside that we're trying to live out what we're learning as we follow biblical principles and truths. We're letting it dwell in us richly. Now, if I use the illustration of pizza, let pizza dwell in you, what are you going to do, Dawson? Stuff your face, right? Like, uh, like uh, Garfield with the lasagna. Uh, just throwing it in. 
and, and you, then you're going to let it dwell. It's going to come in and it's going to become part of your body. Your body's going to metabolize that. It's going to put it to use as energy. And if you're diabetic and eat too much, your sugar's going to go through the roof. But, uh, but otherwise, you, your body will use what you put into it. And God wants you to use what you put into it with his word to let it dwell, to take root, to let it affect your life. And then he says, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. This is mutual accountability. Mutual accountability. You're teaching and admonishing one another. So, kids, what's something that you can learn from your parents? Where's Ivy? Ivy would be able to tell us. What, what's something you can learn from your parents, kids? Tucker? Sorry? Kindness. That's great. I'm glad you can learn that from your parents. Anna? Doing really good work? Working hard? Go ahead. I couldn't quite hear you. Doing the right thing. Thank you. My hearing aids help, but they don't. Hey, Ella? School. Yeah. Hey, you learn to brush your teeth. You learn to wash your hands. You learn to take care of yourself. You learn all kinds of things from your parents. But this is a two-way street. What, kids, what do you think your parents could learn from you? All right. They're blood. Parents, what do you think you can learn from your kids? Tactfulness and kindness. They stretch you in that area sometimes, don't they? Enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't come to Christ with the faith of a child and just completely trust him, yeah, you can learn. So kids learn from their parents. And parents learn from their kids. We're teaching and admonishing one another. So you're learning from your pastor, but your pastor's also learning from you as we're helping each other and encouraging each other. And we worship the Lord together. That's the third way in which we grow. We gather here in this place and we sing songs. I don't know about you, but the songs that we sang today really speak to my heart, especially that Speak, O Lord. And, and he was talking about that and and the, the goal of having God speak into our life through his word and how special that is. And we need to absorb it in and make it part of it. So our gathering here is we're learning from each other and we're speaking into each other's lives. We're helping each other. And so this is how we grow. We work on these things. We make ourselves accountable to other people. Now, this doesn't mean that you become the authority over their life. And so, you know, now that Ben has his pilot license, uh, then you're going to go sit in his house and tell him, here's how you fly the plane. I'm pretty sure he knows better than you do. How many of you have your pilot's license? <laughs> Just one. Oh, Scott does too. That's right. Scott does too. Um, so, uh, but... You need to be accountable to other people and we need to worship together. I struggled 
during COVID, the first few months when we weren't meeting together, I felt almost depressed. I was really down because I realized how much this blesses me and encourages me. And the few weeks when I couldn't be here because of my health concerns before my surgery and after my surgery, I really missed being here. It was great, great to see Scott. I didn't get to see him when he was a guest speaker here because I wasn't able to be in church. And so what a blessing. We can gather together and grow together and encourage each other in the Lord. Now, here's the last thing. This is the most important thing. This is our motivation. This is why we do what we do. And, and Paul says it here in verse number 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's why Scott has dedicated his entire life from the time he was a young man helping his mother to the time he's an adult man teaching his kids and now he's an adult man serving with one of his kids and, and why he does this mission work. This is why Jessica went to Albania for the glory of God, to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, when he says do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, that sounds almost impossible, doesn't it? But you see, all we need to do is the next right thing. And then the next right thing. And then the next right thing. And repeat and repeat and repeat. We don't have to radically transform our lives and change everything. Even if your life needs significant change, you can change it one thing at a time one step at a time as you grow and mature in Christ. You can live for the Lord. You can make wise choices. You can enjoy God's peace and be grateful as you take the next step. You can team others, team up with others who help you along the way and they encourage you and they help you. When we show love, and not, go ahead and bring up that next slide. When we show love and not anger toward those who are not walking with Christ, when we are long-suffering and bear with each other instead of bickering and gossiping, when we're meek and humble and kind and compassionate, when we live up to our calling as God's children, then God is glorified in his church and God is glorified in his family if we do these in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, we are the chosen ones. God picked you to be part of his family, his team, his missionaries on planet earth. And you and I get the opportunity to serve in his name. And then he also gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us in that process. God picked you to be part of his group that does those things that we looked at in the scripture that we talked about this morning. You're his first teamers. He doesn't have second string. You're a first teamer to do these things in the name of the Lord. Now you might be here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior. 
and this sounds a little weird to you, we'd love to open God's word and show you what it means to trust Christ and how you could be saved. Maybe you're here and you were looking at that list that was on the screen or you were writing it down and you're thinking, you know, there's a couple of things I really need to work on. Well, what you need to do is make a commitment to work on it. Put it into your calendar. Somebody said, what gets scheduled gets done. Make a plan to work on it. Make progress. See, someday we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. For all we know, it could be this afternoon. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And here's the deal. We're going to wish we'd done these things. On that day, we might have wished we lived differently on this day. So what will you do as a chosen one for the glory of the Lord? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love and grace, your gentleness to us, your forgiveness to us, your challenge to us from your word. You're modeling the faith before us, not only in, in Christ, but also in the apostles. And I pray that we would learn and grow and mature and show love and share truth and make a difference in our world because we live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.